0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. That's off-season show number 18. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. It's Fantasy NBA Today. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Spending uh, 20-some-odd, 30-ish? I don't know. What are we getting to these days? Not many. Not many short episodes it's the off season so just deal with it. you'll manage I promise either way, very appreciative of you guys sticking with us again off season show number eighteen we're into May so that's kind of good. Let's see one two three yeah May the fourth be with you aha middle of the week so we got the same general idea here we'll talk a bit about the playoff games coming up tonight and what that means from a Pace, pace betting standpoint, things of that nature. And today, we'll roll back into a team to profile. This week kind of got blown up by childcare stuff, other things going on on my personal side, but that's okay. Again, we have like 900 offseason shows to worry about, and we can do them in whatever order we want, so that's the order I decided I wanted right now. Deal with it. Tonight, tonight, the NBA continues... We don't have any games tomorrow, but we'll deal with that when we get there. Sixers Heat, Miami, 8-point home favorites. Total is at 207.5 right now. And the Suns, 6-point home favorites. That total is at 216.5 right now. We'll start with the first one. Of course, still no Joel Embiid. It sounds like he is getting better, so there's a hope that he can be back for the next one, but he's not going to be back for this one. And we saw Miami Pretty much do what they wanted to defensively with the 76ers. Harden was not very good, as we kind of figured he was going to have a tough night without Embiid and without the lift that he used to have, if you can even call it that. There's just the quickness isn't where it once was, and that happens as these guys get older. Still a very good offensive player, but the book is out on him, particularly in the playoffs. Teams can game plan. Miami only Miami in in on their own side only put up a buck. 06 in that ball game. And again, it's worth sort of digging a little bit deeper into how the game got to where it was. Miami did have 92 shots in the game. Only 11 turnovers, only 18 free throws. So the free throw number was relatively low. Both teams made their foul shots, which again, you know, you got some decent foul shooters. Jimmy Butler's a good foul shooter. Tyler Hero's a good foul shooter. Bam Adebayo typically isn't, but he went 8 for 8. And even over on that Philly side, that's a team that typically relies on free throws. They only had 20 in the ball game, and Philly got out rebounded 47 to 37. So Miami just had a ton more opportunity in this ball game. Again, just from a speed standpoint, this game ending at 198 did to some degree kind of belie the fact that it wasn't the world's slowest ball game. Again, if we just sort of fuzzy math it, Miami had 92 shots, 11 turnovers, and 18 foul shots. If we call the 18 foul shots about 9 possessions, you can say they actually had about 112 possessions in the ballgame, give or take a little bit. So Miami kind of underachieved a tad by shooting only 43.5% and not getting that many free throws, but really more so because the the field goal percent. And then over on the Philly side, a vast underachieving situation. They had about 1304 possessions, and they were only at 92. So Philly was under by, I don't know, some 11 points from about a point per possession. Even Miami was under by a couple points per possession. Not by a ton, five or six, somewhere in that neck of the woods. But again, this game was much more in the oh, what do we want to call it, like 215, 216 range on possessions, and then both teams were very bad at capitalizing on them. In general, you guys know I'm looking for opportunities to get in on unders, so I prefer when teams have really good offensive showings in games where the pace was actually kind of slow. Missed shots artificially inflate the pace a little bit. And you saw some of that in this ballgame because there weren't that many turnovers. There weren't that many free throws. There were a lot of missed shots, but again, like it wasn't otherworldly. The teams only combined for, you know, 84, 85 rebounds, team rebounds. You can roll those in there someplace, but it wasn't like some of the games we saw in round one, some of the higher tempo teams, Minnesota, Memphis, stuff like that, where you were getting, 90 to 100 rebounds between the two teams, those were big numbers, and this wasn't really all that large. So unfortunately, while I'd love to say hammer the under on a total of 207 and a half, the pace of that first game suggested that with a decent offensive showing, these two teams could have gotten to about 210, 215 points. Are they going to have... Decent offensive performances, well, that remains to be seen. There's no Joel Embiid. Miami, they could open it up. You could see some of these guys get loose. Tyler Hero was really good in game one. Bam was good in game one, but Butler wasn't. And the, what do you want to call them, like the other guys, those guys kind of weren't either. So it's hard to say that you should go ahead and, and take a shot on an over. You know I generally wouldn't. So this is another one of those games where, The pace of the ballgame suggests maybe there might be a little bit of value on an over, but you know I'm looking for an underplay, and so I'm probably leaving it alone. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Boo! say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Suns-Mavs, Phoenix by six. Again, that total 216.5 right now. Game one went to 235. That's a hefty number. And guess what? It wasn't because the game was super fast. It wasn't. Total, by the way, on that first game was 214.5. Phoenix was also favored by six. They just barely covered the number. Ooh, was that a Barely. Barely as if ever there were one. I think depending on when you got the line, you might have even covered or not covered on either side because that was right there at the number. But I would point out the fact that the total hasn't moved much game over game. It's up about a point and a half. Opening line is only one and a half higher than the closing line of the last ball game. And that, to me, speaks volumes when you're looking at when you're handicapping a game. It tells you, oddsmakers feel like they had the number pretty close to right. They don't want to make that big screaming shift in the number. I mean, like, think about this from the two games perspective. Miami Philadelphia ended at 198, about 10 under the listed total, and that one opened a full two points lower. Closing line was about 208 and a half. In that first ball game, opening line of game two was 206 and a half. Suns Mavs, which again closed at 214 and a half, went over by 20, and it was only adjusted up by one and a half points. So one of them got adjusted down by two points when the first game was only off by 10. The second one got adjusted by one and a half points when the total was only off by was actually off by 20. So oddsmakers feel a bit more confident in the number they have on that second game. And the reason is that, while again, sometimes we can get fooled a bit by pace of play. That Phoenix-Dallas game was actually relatively slow. It's just that everybody made everything. And if Phoenix didn't make something, they rebounded it. Certainly wasn't a free throw. Phoenix went 18 for 18 at the foul line. Teams combined for only 17 turnovers between the two clubs. So, yeah, that's a good way to end up with a slightly slower-paced ball game. And, of course, low turnovers is actually going to mean a more efficient game. Teams are going to do better per possession. But, I mean, you got to look at possession numbers here. Phoenix had about 109. They bested that by 12, which they've been kind of doing throughout the playoffs so far. So I don't want to just write it off as fluky. And then on the Mavs' side... They bested their expected number by about nine as well. So this game at 235, you were we're actually talking about a game that had more like Dallas had about 105 possessions. Phoenix had about 109. 214 is where that came out to. So oddsmakers are saying, look, that first ball game was not the slowest game on earth. You know, we've, we've had some games that have been in like the 200-204 range. It was still in the 210s, between 210 and 220, so it's not the world's slowest game, but at the same time, both teams were very good offensively. I think this is a number that creeps up throughout the day, based on the fact that people saw the first game land at 235. They're going to look at an overbet in Game 2, but I also think that teams might be kind of overreacting to the teams having good offensive performances. Luka Doncic was excellent. I think Phoenix will try some other stuff with him. Dallas's overall was pretty damn good on offense. They had 16 three-pointers, shot the ball well, didn't turn it over. Phoenix, perfect at the foul line, 51% from the field. Low turnovers. Almost all of the factors, other than total number of free throws for the two teams, pointed to an efficient high-scoring ball game. I don't think the free throws are going to be that high in this series. Dallas doesn't go to the rim that much. Phoenix doesn't shoot many free throws turnovers will probably come up. I would expect field goal percent to come down a little bit, but I don't want to say it definitely will because Phoenix has just been so efficient uh, every damn time. But I don't think Luka's going for 45. I don't think Dallas is going to be that good. And I think, frankly, I think Dallas probably tries to slow this down a little bit more. So slightly into the under in this ballgame. I think it's the first one we've had all week where I feel like a total's been inflated a bit by a result from a previous game when the pace suggests we have one or two possessions of undervalue, and you hope that in Game 2 of a playoff series, the game actually does slow down by one or two possessions, and maybe you're more like 209 to 10 in total number of opportunities. Hey, before we get into our team of the day, I want to thank all of you guys that took the opportunity to follow my buddies over at Ethos Fantasy FB. For football. And Ethos Fantasy BB for baseball. They've been doing work, man. Joe Orico, JP Sticko. Really proud of those guys and what they're putting together. So please do check out Fantasy NFL Today and Fantasy MLB Today. Those are free podcasts just like this one. MLB Today, five days a week right now. They even have DFS segments built in, so already it's a better show than mine. NFL Today opening with three shows a week right now. That'll ramp up to five Just really, I'm just, I'm really excited about what these guys are bringing to the table. So please do check those out. Uh, And at the very least, go follow those accounts on Twitter, ethosfantasyfb, ethosfantasybb. That will let you know when the episodes right now of podcasts are dropping. And with football, there should be actual news stuff, fantasy news stuff, coverage, rankings, all that thing. That's all coming up in the next couple of weeks. Also, Folks, there's no such thing as a fantasy offseason, even though I've called it that. Only the pre-draft season, and here at Sports Ethos, pre-draft season has already begun. Our expert analysts are churning out important lessons learned, draft analysis on incoming rookies, so you can get a jump on your prep, and we'll have incredible free agency and summer league coverage as well. But only if you're part of our premium member team. Head to sportsethos.com now. Click on the premium tab, grab a fantasy pass. Seriously, cook yourself one extra lunch per month because it's just $5.99. We'll see you there. Team of the day is the Toronto Raptors, who actually will have a little something to look at for next year. Not a lot, but a little. So what I'd like to do today, and again, the the post-mortem stuff we're doing this season isn't quite as... Look aheady as what we've done in the past. I know uh, there have been times, there have been off seasons where our postmortems, we were kind of trying to guess what a team might do in the next two or three months, and you know we can set ourselves up for that. But really, this is an exercise in preparing our minds for the players that we think will be either values or non-values on draft day. And you can kind of make that early list, and it's just going to eliminate a lot of the work later when we're going back through everything. So quickly here for Toronto, big names that are on the board for next year, or on the books for next year. Pascal Siakam is signed for two more seasons. Freddie Van Fleet, effectively two more. One of those is a player option. Ananobi, three more, one of them a player option. Gary Trent, two more, one of them a player option. Then it's Barnes, who's on his rookie deal and presumably they'll just keep him until eternity. There are other players as well. I brought those guys up because those were the main five. Siakam, Van Vliet, and Anobi, Gary Trent Jr., Scotty Barnes. Those are the guys that had fantasy value from day one until whatever day they got hurt, and then again starting when they came back. Other players on the Toronto Raptors that floated in and out of fantasy value was really one guy with a very subtle nod to some of the other ones. And that one guy, of course, is Chris Boucher, who is actually off the books for the Raptors this year. He is an unrestricted free agent, so he is free to sign somewhere else, and he very well may. What I think we ought to do here, because it's pretty easy to assess the fantasy value of the main guys. Freddie Van Vliet was 17th in 9-cap this year. He missed 17 ball games, which is, again not nothing, and so 17th on a per-game ranking drops him a little bit lower. He's still kind of end of second round by totals. Pascal Siakam came into the season hurt. We have talked about him already as kind of the one win of the did-you-draft-someone-who-was-out-to-start-the-season group one out of, what did we say, eight? One out of eight or one out of nine? Gary Trent uh, missed 12 games. He actually ended up as one of the best-values in fantasy this year, a guy that was getting drafted between 125 and 150, and then by totals this season finished at number 34. Scotty Barnes, a really nice rookie story. Uh, he was number 66 by totals, played in a solid 74 ball game, so that put him at number 45. And then OG Ananobi, who missed about half the season, he was right around the top 50 per game, but only played in 48 of their 82 ball games. As far as those guys are concerned, the only thing I would mention is that we've already heard rumblings that the Raptors want to keep the minutes a little bit lower for Freddie Van Fleet in particular. He played thirty-eight minutes a game, which is the same as Pascal Siakam. But we know Van Fleet has dealt with knee stuff. He's constantly in and out of the lineup. He's on basically being monitored most of the second half of the season. And it's easier said than done because we know Toronto's going to roll their starters out there in colossal minutes. But it is something to throw in the back of your head. And, you know, as far as head-to-head goes, he's a terrific punt field goal guy. But you know you're going to lose at least league average number of ball games, And probably, like we saw this year, a little bit more than that. I would argue we actually almost got a little bit lucky this year that for Van Vliet, most of his stuff was more of the nagging kind of maintenance-style injury, and he didn't have that one, like, four-week absence that on top of the maintenance stuff really would have put a dent into his year. It seems like Siakam, maybe we can put him back in the slightly more durable department. It seems like Gary Trent is kind of hovering somewhere in between. He did relatively well this year. And Anobi is someone that's going to need to show us that he can stay right, playing big-time starters minutes because that now has a little bit called into question. And then Scotty Barnes, it seems like he can handle it, but of course he's a rookie, so who knows what his body's going to look like as you start to put some miles on it. Where do I think these guys are getting drafted next year? I think you'll probably see them drafted closer to their per-game production than their totals production. Fantasy enthusiasts, head-to-head or otherwise really come to terms quickly <laughs> with somebody that might miss ball games, Unless they're a really obvious one, like a Christoph Porzingis. People are very quick to forget that someone maybe missed some ball games for them. So Freddie Van Vliet probably still goes in the second round, if I had to guess. And in Roto, I think I'm probably generally okay with that. In head-to-head, I don't think that I am. Siakam probably goes third round. And that's probably fair, although I don't know how much better he really could be than he was this season. Eh, I mean, it's not super exciting, but he had a pretty good steals count this year. That was a higher total. That could come down. You could see field goal percent come down. I could see a lot of ways that Siakam throttles it back a little bit. I'd rather he go in the fourth Maybe Gary Trent doesn't go as high as 45. I bet there's some skepticism that he can do this again. 1.8 steals in particular was a super high number. He's a good steals guy. I, I you know, I, He was started off the year at like two and a half. I got in some Twitter arguments saying he wasn't ever going to keep it that high. I'll say this. He ended the season higher than I thought he would. So can we effectively say both of us were right? Because I said it was going to come down, but also I thought it would come down more than that. Anyway, um, so Gary Trent probably gets drafted in the 60s or 70s, if I had to guess, and I'm okay with that. OG Ananobi probably takes a little bit of a hit after an injury-plagued season. I don't know that I have the gumption to draft him in head-to-head, and Roto, I think I'd probably take him almost any place after the top 55 if he falls that far. And then Scotty Barnes, if there's any kind of assumption here that he gets better which I don't know what that would mean exactly. Probably better free throws, better three-point shooting, and hope that some of the other stuff kind of stays the same. He's a guy that probably does get drafted. Again, he was 66 on a per game. He might go earlier than that. There may be this expectation again that he gets better, and maybe that's built into his ADP next year. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But what I will say about the Raptors is that because they're a team that's dinged up so much, because they play their guys such heavy, heavy minutes, some one guy off the bench usually ends up in a winning fantasy situation. That's a spot that worked for Chris Boucher this year, but if he's not back, is there anyone that can fill those shoes? And my answer right now is probably not. Because if everybody, I don't know who they're going to, like, Will, is Yuto Watanabe going to come back? Maybe. Is Fima Kalio going to exercise his player option or go try to sign a new contract elsewhere? I don't know. The problem that I see is that Boucher was someone we knew going into this last year had a really good fantasy game. We talk about fantasy stat set a lot on this podcast. And I think we can get away with just sort of glossing over that idea right now. Uh, As we loop back around towards the start of next season, I might want to do some kind of primers on what does a fantasy stat set mean? But I think most of you guys that are listening in the offseason are seasoned vets. And so when I say fantasy stat set, you pretty much know what I'm talking about here. The short version is basically, Chris Boucher only needed about 22 23 minutes to have fantasy value in the past he only needed 20 but we saw his usage plummet fall off a cliff this year because they forced him to play actual team basketball so he needed more like 23 24 minutes to hit fantasy value He's a guy that I think we probably should have been more aggressive in adding and dropping throughout the season instead of sitting on him in certain spots and kind of hoping that he would get those runs where someone or some ones were hurt on the Raptors. But again, when someone was out, we saw it by midseason. He had learned how to play team basketball. When one player was out, he suddenly was getting 28, 29 minutes of game, And in that amount of time, he's a top 75 fantasy asset. When the team was healthy, he was playing 18 minutes a game, and he wasn't even close. I would love it if the Raptors re-signed Chris Boucher. I don't know that they can or will, but if they do, he's someone you probably don't need to draft because presumably the starting five for Toronto will actually be healthy going into next season. I guess I don't know for sure, but I'm going to assume that's the case because no one really ended this year with any massive thing. We know, Freddie Van Fleet was dealing with a bunch of small stuff, but I have to imagine, you know, four or five months to get that right. He should be fine. So to that end, if you're looking at a guy like Boucher, he's someone that you just need to be ready to pounce on. If anyone, we now know, we filed that into our Raptors Rolodex this last season. If anyone got hurt, Boucher went from not rosterable to rosterable. And if you're looking at totals value over the entirety of this season, Boucher actually did finish at 84, but a lot of that is because he played in 80 ball games. What you actually wanted to do was isolate the games where he got his 28 minutes because he was a monster in those and he was kind of meh in the others from a roto standpoint. I guess on the head to head side, he actually qualifies as a value here because he didn't miss ball games, but that's again, that's not really what you're looking for. You're not looking for a super durable top 140. You'd rather make Boucher a medium-term streamer. So what does that mean in terms of who we put on a list for ourselves? There's like the do-they-sign-Boucher and the don't-they-sign-Boucher outcomes of this. Either way, I think the list is relatively similar. The next closest guy on the Raptors to having what you might call tangible fantasy value was, unfortunately, Precious Achua who was number 300 on a per-game basis this season. He wasn't close. Thad Young, by the way, is off the books. If you were hoping that he was the guy that would step in and get those starters' minutes, I was hoping that too. And maybe he comes back on a veteran's minimum, but that would kind of surprise me a little bit. I don't know. I guess if Boucher walks, they could say, look, Thad, look what we did with Boucher. You know, dude played 18, 19 minutes when everybody was healthy, but we're going to have guys missing games, so if you're ready to play 27, 28, this could be you. He's a guy that has the fantasy game to support that particular type of role. But Kem Birch doesn't. Precious Achua doesn't. Nobody else on the team really profiles as the guy that would slide in to play three or four spots on the floor. So there's kind of nothing in terms of like setting yourself up for two different possible outcomes here. Instead, I think you look at the Raptors as Freddie Van Fleet will probably be relatively accurately drafted in the late second round. Pascal Siakam will probably be ever so slightly overdrafted in the mid to late third. Gary Trent will probably be ever so slightly underdrafted, but there is some risk factor there as more of like a late sixth type of guy. OG Ananobi probably gets a little... Mm, I him accurately drafted because there is the big red flag on the injury stuff. It is a thing that you need to be concerned with, but if he stays healthy, he probably ends up being a bit of a value next year. Scotty Barnes probably gets a little bit overdrafted. And then I don't think anybody else in the team gets touched. And that is where we sit on the Toronto Raptors. Pretty curious to see what happens with that sort of floating slot for them this off season. That to me is the big up in the air thing for toronto does boucher come back do they go that young do they go somebody else that's kicking around on the free agent market whoever it is if they can slot themselves into that and if you can see them posting fantasy value in a 26 27 minute role that's the guy you want to keep an eye on because we already saw what they'd like to do and then just try to understand if that's a guy that fits that mold thanks for listening today everyone Back at you tomorrow. No games tomorrow. Ooh, tomorrow's going to be a short one, isn't it? I'd say we could do a mailbag, but who the hell has questions in the <laughs> fantasy offseason? Even after earlier in the show, I said there's no such thing as a fantasy offseason. We'll do a little extra promo tomorrow. I got some more shows I want to talk about here at Sports Ethos. We'll uh, dive a little farther. I'll pick. Maybe I'll pick a team that requires a little more breakdown. Maybe we'll do a really big lesson learned. I'll figure it out. Maybe we do the weekend... Um, playoff betting primer tomorrow flip it around and then on friday we come back to some fantasy stuff i don't know i feel like the, i feel like uh, will ferrell at the beginning of old school when he says maybe, we'll, maybe we're gonna go to bed bath and beyond i don't know if there will be time i don't know maybe we'll do it tomorrow i don't know if there'll be time i'm dan Vespers at dan Vespers on twitter you guys knew that already you're the off-season crowd man i would bet that there is not a new listener to today's show. And if you are one, please, Lord, let me know. That would be really exciting for me, that someone's searching for fantasy basketball on the 4th of May, whatever the hell day it is right now, on May the 4th. I didn't even talk about Star Wars. I should have said something about Star Wars today so I could put it in the title of the show, maybe get a couple of hits that way. I don't. I don't. You know, here's something I hope you guys didn't shut the podcast already, off already, because something did hit me here as I was about to go into the exit. Nick Nurse is in demand. We've heard Masai Ojiri say that no one's touching him. But well, everybody's got a price. Maybe you have to trade for him, a la Doc Rivers back in the Clippers days. If he goes, lots changes. But I don't think he's going anywhere. That stuff doesn't happen all that often. I don't think so. Guess you never know. So keep an eye on the Nick Nurse front as well. But again, that's that's a reach. That's a reach. I think you see a player move before a nurse. And I don't think you see any players move. Alright. We had to sneak that in at the exit, because that is something that could shift the tides a bit. You bring if somebody else ends up in there that doesn't want to play everybody thirty seven minutes a night, doesn't want to run these guys into the ground. I do wonder on the Freddie Van Fleet front, if you know, if he's playing 34 and a half, 35 minutes instead of 38 or 36 instead of 38. What does that do to his per game value, but does that also allow him to play an extra two or three games on the season? Or and this is probably the case, is it just bluster? Because once he gets into the the season, Raptors are going to want to win some games and all of a sudden it's going to be like, "All right, you know, screw it. We got we had to play him. We had to play him 38 minutes tonight." All right. We're closing out the show for real this time. We almost made it to 30 minutes of actual me talking. If I count out about seven or eight more seconds, I think we do, actually. See? See what I did there? Now I feel good about myself. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. So long, everybody.